awesome, incredible, almighty God together. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles, you are the peace in my troubles. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, the truth.
Father, we sing your praises today because of who you are. And as we come to worship you, we pray that we will know more of who you are, that we will know more of you in our lives, individually and corporately. And we pray you be glorified through our worship. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. One of the uh, joys we have as a body of believers is to uh, minister to each other and with each other. And uh, it's been our practice for a number of years in the fall to take a moment and to uh, just thank everyone who is a volunteer uh, through the ministry of the church and to offer a word of prayer for you. So I want to ask uh, those of you who are volunteering in some ministry, either in the church or through the church, it may be in music, it might be teaching, children, youth. Uh, adults leading a group, being a part of a group, you're in a leadership position, maybe deliver meals on wheels, uh, there's a whole lot of things, it's pretty much the gamut. Uh, if you would just stand, and then we would like to offer prayer for you. Gracious Father, thank you for every person standing here before us today. For all of those who give their time and energy and resources to the ministries of the church. We pray, Father, that uh, you will be pleased with our efforts. And that as we, as we teach, as we sing and play, as we serve, as we care for others, as we give of ourselves, we pray, Father, that you will multiply our efforts and that you will be glorified as we watch people's hearts and lives touched and changed and transformed as your spirit works through us. Thank you for the time and the energy and uh, all of the, the gifts and talents and abilities and willingness that this group represents. And we pray, Father, for your miraculous grace to multiply our efforts for the sake of your church and your world and our lives. Help us to sense your spirit in us and through us. And we pray that you will be glorified in all that we do. And may the ministries of this church and everyone who is involved in the ministries of the church bring glory to you. And expand your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint. Let every nation shout out your faith. Jesus is coming.
to God this morning. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail, it's the place where you offer your prayers. Please come and join me. Fathers, we we come before you today, we are reminded that Christ is coming, and we want to be ready. We want to be a church that is prepared, that is sensitive to you, that is open to you, and we want to be people with that same mindset. So, Lord, today as we come to this moment of prayer, we're asking for your grace to teach us and to work in us. And we're asking for your grace to help us. Lord, in this world of burdens and anxiety, of fear, despair, busyness, stress, pressure, sometimes we forget that you are the ultimate answer to all of the things, all the needs of our world. And so, Father, in this world that is a sea of hurting people, we pray for your grace. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters in so many countries of the world who face opposition and attacks. We pray that you would comfort them and encourage them. Protect them. We pray, Father, for the ministry of the Southern Tier Youth for Christ. We pray, Father, that you will you will bless this ministry as they work in schools and as they work with the, in communities and as they uh, share the the love of Christ with the wide variety of young people and their families. Pour out your blessing upon the leadership and the ministry of Youth for Christ. 
Father, we also pray for ourselves. We know that you care about every one of our needs. And this morning we bring them to you. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. And we pray especially today for Dave Doherty and Evelyn Heil, Alice Brown and Florence Tuber, for Bunny Austin and Mike Raybuck, for Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenham and Bev Rett and Mike Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our minds and our hearts today. We ask for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray for uh, the struggles of our lives, the places where we fall short, the places where we feel life pressing in upon us. And we ask that you would give us hearts that trust you because we know that you are full of grace and mercy and loving kindness. Father, we ask that you would help us to live lives that are open to you with each other, in all of our relationships, everywhere we go, every place we work, everything that we do, every part of who we are. May we be known by our love, by our commitment to truth, by our relationship with you. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. scripture passage this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. 
When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, for, came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
We often end the scripture reading with, as Amanda did, by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and we respond saying, thanks be to God. This is one of those passages that when you say that, you want to add, I think. Right? I mean, this story that we read this morning is troubling at best, and probably just a little bit confusing. Anytime we talk about money, everybody's antenna goes up because there is a sense that the church is always wanting to talk about money. Well, it is intriguing to me that money is a big part of the image, the picture we get from the early church. And, and in, in this scene we have from them, we find sort of a dichotomy of how they handle money and how they handle resources. On the one hand, you have, you have this description at the beginning of the uh, end of chapter 4 that talks about how they had everything in common, they shared everything they had, and even people like Barnabas sell fields and bring the money and put it at the disciples' feet, and they give it to whoever has need. And they're taking care of each other. And, and then you have Ananias and Sapphira who um, sell a field bring the money and tell the disciples, this is the money we, we got from selling the field. This is all of it. Look how generous we are. And it's only a part of it. And it's intriguing to me that, that the first sin recorded that in the church is about money. And it ought to tell us something about how easy it is for, for our resources to become more important than God, that our resources can draw us away from God, that the things that we possess can begin to possess us. There's nothing wrong with money or wealth. There's nothing wrong with having it. The problem is when it has us. And in this story, you get a sense that, that the money, the material possessions are controlling Ananias and Sapphira. And it's obviously a problem. It's one of those stories that you, you scratch your head and you go, wow, that, no wonder everybody was afraid when he got to the end of that. I'm not sure they even had to say that. Uh, I think you would have assumed that fear gripped everyone after seeing this event take place. And, you know, I don't know if, if Peter knew this was going to happen, 
Or if he says, you know, Ananias, you've lied to the Holy Spirit and he drops dead and Peter says, whoa, what just happened there? But he knows something isn't right. The Holy Spirit has revealed that to him. And, and there is something in us that wants people to think we're more generous than we are. I mean, isn't that human nature? We always want people to think that we're better than we kind of believe we are ourselves. We're smarter than maybe we think we are. That we are, we have, we are more generous than maybe we really are. That we are better friends than we really are. That we care more about people than we really do. There's something in our human nature that want, we want people to think that we're better than in our private moments we see ourselves. I mean, and when it comes to generosity, it's no exception. I mean, you know, it's a part of me that wants you to think I'm the most generous person in the room. That I don't struggle with being generous. That I don't struggle with wanting to hold on to material possessions. But I do. Just like you do. It's a part of our human struggle to be selfish and stingy and greedy. And it's part of our human struggle to want people to think that we are more than we are. And we have a tendency that it, to think it's not that big of a deal. We've gotten away with it this long, right? It's okay. And I think one of the things that's happening in this story is reminding us how serious it is. How dangerous it is to pretend to be something we're not. And especially in this story, to pretend to be generous when we're not. It's dangerous to let greed and selfishness and hoarding what we have to get control of us. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, if we do that, we're going to drop dead, as we see in the story. Because this is really an isolated incident. You don't see this kind of thing happening anywhere else throughout the scriptures. But I think it does tell us that the kind of selfishness and greed that so easily lives in us leads us to death. And the generosity leads us to life. Because generosity moves us toward God. It moves us to who God is. And greed and selfishness leads us away from God and away from who God is. It's just a reality of life. I really do believe that how we handle our resources, and I'm not just talking about money today, but all the resources we have, our time, our energy, our uh, our talents, as well as our money and our possessions, whatever we, how we handle our resources reveals a whole lot about how we feel about God and about our relationship with God. How much we trust Him. How we view Him. How we see Him. I think one of the things that it's important for us to understand is that what Luke tells us right at the beginning of this section at the end of, of chapter 4, he says that 
No one considered what they had as their own. And, and I think to some, at some point, they're saying, you know, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. But I think it's deeper than that. I think there is a sense of understanding that everything they have is God's. Everything they have has come to them because of the grace of God. God has poured out blessing on them. God's given to them. God has helped them. And everything they have, whatever they have, ultimately belongs to God. And this whole idea of, of generosity as, a, as, a, as an indication of what it means to be the church is really rooted in this correct understanding of stewardship. That everything in the world and everything that we have ultimately is God's. And, and we, start, we start messing that up. We start, we start becoming greedy and selfish when we forget that. When we start thinking what we have is mine. And if it's mine, then I can do whatever I want with it. If it's mine, then I have the right to protect it. If it's mine, I have the right to hold on to it and grasp it and cling to it and hoard it. And I might give some of it away, but only if I feel like I want to do that. But the scripture teaches us from the beginning to the end that everything we have, whether it's money or talents or time or resources or whatever it may be, all of it is a gift of God and all of it ultimately belongs to God. And if it's his, then we are less apt to be stingy about it and to hoard it. And instead of being a church that is like a reservoir of our resources, we become a church that's a river with our resources. With the resources that we all bring, the resources God has given us, we don't bring them and they just sit here, but we bring them and, and we use them as like a river that flows out of us to other people. Whether that flows to the people in the church or to people outside the church. Because we understand that what we have is God's and we trust God that if we give it away, he's going to give us back what we need to keep giving it away. I think one of the things that happens when we see the correct stewardship, when we understand that, that point, is that we generosity becomes more than just a, a momentary act. You know, when you think of someone who's generous, we often think of people who do things in the moment. You see someone on the street who is homeless and you, you give them something, you find a place for them to live or to stay. Or someone who's hungry and you give them food. Or someone has a need and, and, and you go and help them. There is that spontaneity of generosity that we tend to say, we tend to look at that and say, wow, these people are really generous. Look at how, look what they did for this person who is in need. And that's important and we need to do that. But I'm convinced that that kind of spontaneous generosity is rooted in planned generosity. I think people who are spontaneously generous are more than likely people who plan to be generous first. Because generosity is not just something we do. It's, it's an attitude. It's a perspective. It's a way of life. It's how we live. It's who we are. And those spontaneous acts of generosity come out of being people who live our lives looking for every opportunity to be generous. 
We plan generosity. We're thinking about it. We build it into our financial budgets. We build it into our time and the way we spend our time. We build it into how we use the talents and abilities that we've been given. We are thinking to ourselves, what way can I be generous today, this afternoon, this morning, right now? It's on our minds and we aren't surprised by generosity. It just sort of flows out of us. I read, a, you got to love this story, I read a, about a woman who was sitting in church one Sunday and she passed out and fell over and hit her head. And um, of course, they, they called the ambulance, stopped the service, they called an ambulance, the EMTs came and everyone was very concerned, as you can well imagine, about how this, how, kind of the health of this woman. They put her on the stretcher and as they were getting ready to wheel her out, she motioned to her daughter. And she looked gravely ill, and they were very concerned about her. And her daughter bent down, and she wanted to say something to her daughter. And everyone was assuming she was maybe some of the last words she speaks. They had to be profound. And there, she whispered something to her daughter, and they took her out. And everyone said, what'd she say? What'd she say? She kind of smiled, and she said, she said, she looked at me, and she said, my offering's in my purse. There is something about that kind of mindset. That's, you know, just, it's what I do. It's who I am. Charles Spurgeon talked about that we give so regularly and become so much a part of us that it sort of becomes like eating our meals. We don't stop to say, should I have dinner tonight? Should I have breakfast this morning? We eat because we know it's a part of being healthy. And we give. And we are generous in the same way. And there is this sense of, of it becoming a part of who we are as the church, as God's children. The problem is, as we've been talking, as the church, we are living in that tension between what we are and what we're intended to be. And we see this great goal out here. We see people like Barnabas. We see people like St. Francis and Mother Teresa. We see these people whose who very existence seems to just exude generosity. It just sort of comes out of their pores. And, and we see them here, and we're way back here. And it's discouraging. But the reality is, God isn't asking us to jump from here to here. He's just simply saying, will you be willing to let me help you be a little more generous? Will you let me, will you be willing to let me make you day by day, step by step, a little more generous? It is this willingness to be opened as, as open as possible to God that he is asking of us. It is the kind of desire, a willingness that says, Lord, I don't know exactly how to be generous. You know I'm clinging to this stuff. You know I'm holding on to these things. You know that there's a part of me that doesn't want to be generous. But I know it is right. So give me the grace to be willing to let you make me generous. What we forget is that generosity is freedom. We think generosity is sacrifice. But actually, generosity is freedom. You think for a second, get into your mind a picture of someone that you would say, this is a generous person. 
And I would be, I'm convinced that if you think somebody is a generous person, more than likely you see them also as a joyful person. As someone who lives with the spirit of freedom and joy and peace. And life may be a mess for them. They may be facing all kinds of stuff. But if they come to your mind when you think of generosity, more than likely what also comes to your mind is the spirit of freedom and joy. Because that's what generosity leads to. There's an ancient legend of a monk that was out walking one day and looked down and saw in the riverbed something gleaming and he picked it up and it was this huge precious stone. He put it in his bag and he kept on his journey. And a little bit later he came across a stranger who was, uh, was, came, was hungry and the stranger asked the monk if he, could, if he would share some of his provisions. And the monk said, most certainly. And he opened up his bag to take some things out. And the stranger saw that gem in his bag. And he said to him, could I have that? And the monk took it out and said, sure, here. And he gave it to him and the man grabbed it and ran off. Excited about what he had gotten. A couple of days later, he came back searched and finally found that monk again. And he took the stone out of his pocket, he handed it back to him, and he said, you know, the first time we met, I asked you for provisions. This time, I'd like to ask you to give me whatever it is you have that enabled you to give me that stone without hardly thinking about it. That's freedom. Too often we live in fear. And fearful people are rarely generous. Jesus understood our fear about stuff. He he understood that probably better than we even do. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 12, he says, little children, don't be afraid. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. I like that imagery. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. You don't need to be afraid. Because whatever you give, whatever your resources that you give away, God will supply. And he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it joyfully because that's who God is. And instead of being afraid and living in fear about giving away what we have, about being generous, the call of the kingdom is to know the freedom of being able to give away and to be generous. Because that's who Jesus is. Second Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and asking them to contribute to an offering for the needy church in Jerusalem. And he, he doesn't try to, to put the screws to them. He doesn't try to, to make them you know, feel guilty. He doesn't try to, to, to enforce them. He simply says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, but for your sakes became poor. And that through his poverty... You became rich. 
everything you have is because of the grace of Jesus. If you think about generosity, so often it's easy to begin to feel guilt. It's one more thing I'm not doing right. Or maybe we feel hopeless. I could never really be a generous person. I've tried it. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's impossible. God does not want to apply apply guilt to us. And God does not want to make us feel despair. He wants simply to remind us that he is gracious. He is generous. And because he's generous, we can be generous. When Henry Nouwen writes about the father in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, he talks about some things that, some, some characteristics of the father that he sees in the story. And one of them is generosity. And when he writes about that, he says, he says, when you look at the father and who he is in this story, he is, he is exceedingly abundantly, irresponsibly generous to both of his sons. And then now one says, I have come to see that every time we take a step toward generosity, we are taking a step toward God. Every time we take a step toward generosity, we are taking, we are becoming more and more like the Father who gives and gives and gives. And, and instead of the mindset that we tend to have of how little can I give and God not be angry with me, we take on the mindset of how much can I give? How generous can I possibly be and still survive? And is there a place for being careful and responsible? Sure there is. There's a place for wisdom in how we're generous. But I suspect that for most of us, our problem is not that we are too reckless in our generosity. I suspect our issue, my issue, is that I am not reckless enough. Too fearful. Not trusting enough. Not looking enough like the Father. You see, really... When we are generous, we are bearing the image of our creator. When you go back to Genesis and and the story of creation, and it says that human beings are created in God's image, one of those things that is God's, one of the descriptions of God's image, the characteristics of God's image is generosity. Over and over and over again, we find God being generous, generous, generous generous. And sometimes we get this mindset about God that that he is asking himself, how stingy can I be with my children and still convince them to worship me? And the reality is, what we read in the scriptures, what we find in the God of history, what we find, if we're honest about our own lives, is God is continually saying, how generous can I be even if my children ignore me and reject me? Because the nature of God 
is continually to be generous. It is who he is. He can be nothing else. It's who he is. And that's why Jesus can say, little flock, don't worry. That's why God is so concerned when we become selfish and greedy and hoard what the, the uh, resources that we have. Because he knows it's, it's leading us away from who he is. It's causing us to fear. It's causing us to miss so much of what he has for us. Instead of generosity that opens our minds and our hearts and our lives to who he really is. The God of grace and mercy and love and abundant, reckless, risk-taking generosity. In his book, Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson tells of being out one day in the woods and he came across a lake and he sat down there by the, by the, on the bank and there was a branch sticking out, dead branch sticking out, out over, over the water and on the branch was a little family of sparrows. And there, there were three little chicks and the two adults. And for whatever reason, this was the day when these chicks were going to learn to fly. And one of the adults stood at the, at the inside of the branch with the chicks on the outside of the branch and began nudging them toward the edge. And he just kept nudging them and nudging them more and more until the one on the end got right to the end of it and, and the adult, the mother or father, just kept shoving and shoving until the little thing fell off the end and fell like a stone about to the four feet or five feet down to the water. But just before it hit the water, it did what instinctively birds do. It began to flap its wings. And all of a sudden, it was flying. And the adult kept pushing and kept pushing. And got to the, the second one, got to the edge, and the same thing happened. Tipped it off the end, sunk down like a stone, and just about hit the water, began to flap its wings, and off it flew. He said that third chick was simply not going to be bullied. That thing was just there. And he had a tight grip on that branch and he was not moving. And no matter how hard the the parent shoved, he was not moving. He got to the place where he actually released his grip just enough to flip himself under the branch and then grab hold again. And so now he's hanging from this branch. How's he going to push him off now? He's, he's figured it out. Well, the mother or father was relentless, and she bent down, and she began to peck at his talons. Just pecking away, pecking, 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 until finally the pain of that was greater than the fear of falling. And he let go. And he sunk like a stone, just like the other two But also, just like them, before he got to the water, he began to flap his wings, and off he flew. And Peter said, I sat there and I thought about that, and I realized birds walk and walk, and birds can run, and birds can hang on to branches, but they were meant to fly. That's what birds were created to do, to fly. And you and I, We can be stingy, 
And we can be selfish. And we can hoard our resources. But we were created to be generous. We were created to know the freedom and the joy of being able to soar because we're generous. Because we have let go of all the things that we want to cling to, those dead branches of bank accounts and our time and our energy. And we've realized that the real joy of life, the real freedom of living, is being like our Heavenly Father, who is generous beyond measure, to a fault. The choice is before us. We can grasp and, and we can hold on and we can be absorbed and absolved in, in fear. Or we can let go. We can soar and fly in the freedom that comes from being generous like our Father in heaven. I think this is the kind of thing that's important to not just hear about and to not just think about, but to do something about. At each end of your rows are little three-by-five cards. I'm going to ask you to pass those to people around you, to your row. Everybody take one. Everybody get a card. We're going to put up on the screen some uh, potential ways in which you might be a little more generous with whatever you have. For some of us, it's about money. But quite frankly, sometimes it's more about our time than it is about our money. And sometimes it's about the energy that we have. And sometimes it's about our gifts and our talents. Sometimes it's about the kind of people we may need to be generous toward. And this is just a sample. This is certainly not an an, an all-inclusive list. It's just something to get your mind going. And we're going to take just a moment of silence to, uh, to ask God to give wisdom. But what I want you to do then is to write down on that card, I sense God asking me to be more generous about. And write it down. And I want you to take the card home and I want you to put it someplace prominent and to pray about it. But we're also going to, if if your area of generosity is related to volunteering your skills, your abilities, something that that you can do or for that matter, the money that you may have. We're in the process, we're in the process, we're going to take, I want you to let us know because we want to create a list of people. Because we are all the time finding that there are people around us, particularly in some of the communities around us, 
who had the need of some people to come and to fix something, to repair something. Maybe they need someone to come and, and be with them for a while. Maybe they need to be driven someplace. And we want to start creating a, sort of a database of people who say, I'm really sensing God wants me to be more generous and we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. All of us. So let's take a moment just of silence to ponder, to think, to pray. And then um, see what God says to us about being more generous. Father, as we ponder this, you understand the hurdles, the fears, the anxiety, the uncertainty, the questions. Uh, what if? Or give us the grace to be able to put those things aside and to see the freedom and life that comes from following your lead, being generous. Prompt us. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. So I want you to write down, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm totally blank about what to write, then at some point before you go to bed tonight, Fill out this card. And then if, if you have something that you feel led to do that's related, that would help us be the church to other people, skills, abilities, talents, time, something that you think if we knew about this, we could then help you connect with people to do these things, then we need you to let us know. So just send me an email, send an email to any of the staff, the office, as we combine this, compile this list, because this is one of those things that it's, it's good to think about, but it really calls for action. So let's ask God to help us be people who do generosity as we ask him to help us become more generous. Please stand as we sing. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Take my life. Oh
May God, who is more generous than we could ever dream or imagine, fill your life with his peace, his joy, his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Amen.